You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Uh, Well, it was Father's Day, and I posted on my Instagram, like, a lovely Father's Day picture for my dad who's an excellent granddad to to my son and all this kind of stuff that was lovely and then right at the end of the day my son decided to give me an extra special father's day treat (laughs) which he had not done in a very long time where he had what we affectionately called a punami or a catastrophe. It's not even specific to children. Like we can all have a catastrophe from time to time. You know, I mean, especially on tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Refer so back to our first episodes with back you. Back to the first episode. But 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 basically, what happened? I I put it up online, going, "This would be quite funny." And I literally woke up to a hundred less followers. You're listening to 2020. You already know who we are, but just to refresh you at www.2020-e.com. I'm Benny Goodman here with Siobhan Cronin. That's Conic Sento with Corey Peza, who's a bass player. Now you know everything. Let's talk about our guest this week. Richard Shaw, who's one of the greatest guitar players you might never have heard of, but he's in the band Cradle of Filth, which is a huge band, but he himself is even bigger than anything. This is clearly, clearly a morning episode because Ben right. is highly caffeinated. Yes, absolutely. Well, this is part <laughs> Part two with Richard. We had a great first episode with him, so I'm excited for everyone to hear what he's got to say in this episode. We talk more about Lost Symphony, a lot of his ideas about writing and composing. So it was, it was great to learn from him. Yeah. So let's check it out. Let Part him be two. the British ambassador with Richard Shaw. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here as always with my cohorts, Benny Goodman and Corey Peza. How's, this, how's it going, guys? What up? It's going I'm well. still finding my words because we're doing a morning recording. I've got my coffee and I'm very excited to be back for part two with our dear friend Richard Shaw of Cradle of Filth, also on Lost Symphony. So thanks for coming back and joining us. We're excited to dive back into some more shenanigans. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I'm sorry for 2020-ing everyone here when I had to figure out my freaking setup this morning. So moving places, you know. It's all good. All good. Yeah, yeah. usual. It wouldn't be a 2020 episode if there wasn't someone like pointing at the camera, like tapping the microphone going, wait, is this is this happening right now? <laughs> so we're here. But yeah, uh, part two of our chat with Richard for the third time. Thank you, as always, for coming back and not being frightened away bias in general <laughs> but uh in the last episode you know we kind of caught up with you with what's been going on we talked a little bit about um cradle and uh all the cool stuff that's coming up with that exciting to get back out doing some live shows and everything um definitely want to touch on we can't step over this uh we lost symphony recently put out a track um take another piece uh which you are featured on alongside some little other guitarists like nuno Bettencourt, marty friedman and alex skolnick uh and our very own Car- kelly Carolock. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, that track, like, you know, uh, what your approach was to it and kind of how you feel about the whole song right now? First of all, I've got to proceed what I'm about to say with saying thank you again for, for <laughs> allowing me to be featured on that track. Cause that really was a dream come true. When you guys told me I was going to be doing it, I was like, what, as in the Nuno, not like a tribute <laughs> Nuno, or in, like you know, in like actually the Nuno, the Marty, the the Alex. You know, what I mean, you can't spell Nuno without no. Yeah, <laughs> that is a, that is very true. Is that on a T-shirt, Benny? <laughs> there are a lot of T-shirts that... being made right now. Believe me, it's a whole brand I have going. Ask anybody that's within sixteen feet of me. <laughs> but yeah, it was just incredible to be asked. First of all. And then when you guys sent me the track, 
not to blow wind up your ass, but it was one of those things where it was like, right, okay, this this needs this kind of solo. It just needs it. And then I was very, very fortunate that Nuno and Marty's parts were already on there. So it made me go, okay, this is what I'm not going to do. And it that was what I found difficult working on because I'm such a big Nuno Marty fan. It was like, okay, everything that I've stolen from them for the last 25 years, I can't use. So, <laughs> and I think that was the hardest part, but it was made so much easier by the fact that the musically, it was just joy. It was just sheer joy. That backing track, the part I had was just like, it needs this kind of solo. Well, how do you how do you approach that though? Because uh, so something that I love about Kelly, who's on the song for an equal amount of time, and it's great because you, you know you go and read the comments, and people have been really nice about this song because they're like, oh my god, Alex and Nuno, I could die happy. Marty is God, blah 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 blah. And then every every like fifteenth comment is like, Richard Shaw is fucking amazing, <laughs> or who's that guy that looks like Edgar Winter? And the thing is that I know about Kelly, so this is how I can surmise that Kelly probably wrote it and he's going to be like, that's not it at all. But like he knew he was going to play with Nuno and Marty and, and Skolnick. So he was like, what is the most technically ridiculous thing I can write that still sounds musical, but other guitarists will then notice me because I just assumed it was a good solo. But then all these people were like, dude, did you see that guy from there? Like, how did he even do that? Look at that. And it's above my pay grade to realize, but then I, I, I have to think that what he's done is so hard that even people that go, Nuno and Marty are great, but that chess master dude is holy fuck. How did you approach it? I I saw my role as like, I don't know, setting up what followed after. It's like after I heard like the Marty my solo and then where I was going to play it and then going into Nuno's, I was just like, I am here to set up Nuno. I'm <laughs> here to go because musically I, pl- I play in like the, the quieter section. Yeah. It's like if, if I played anything too crazy over this, this may be a little weird and like a little bit forced. Yeah. It almost seems like that would be a cha- more challenging section because there was no rhythmic support. It was like just boom, yeah. open canvas. Like here, mm-hmm. here you go, Richard, make it happen. That's what made it interesting at the same time, because I love playing over that kind of stuff. Yes, I'm kind of known for playing over really chaotic passages, whether it be with Cradle of Filth or in the case of like premeditated destruction. And you guys gave me what, whatever, what it, 13, eight or whatever it was. Yeah. And it was, so you gave me- I a, still a, don't know. I can't count it. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to count fingers, it. Bro. I, I didn't like pl- program it to a click track or anything. I literally just played along with like the MP3. Well, that, you can tell because it has feel because if you did it that way, and this is part, you've alluded to why I love your playing so much because you think, okay, the guy from Cradle of Filth, I don't think to myself, this sounds like David Gilmore if he just played a little bit more intense. But that's kind of how I felt about your solo. And one of the most refreshing things that you said, especially as, as Kelly refers to it, a guy from the new school, um, you know, that you have chosen tastiness and composition where you said to yourself, okay, I'm going from Marty. I'm going from Nuno. How do I set these guys up to elevate them? Whereas most guitar players are just like, but how do I make my dick bigger? Yeah, absolutely. You, I, yeah. No, go ahead. Now I was just going to say you buy a pump for that, <laughs> but I have no experience of that, but I've seen the internet. <laughs> well, Richard, let me ask you. So as someone that's interested in getting better at composing like soloistic things, when you said you heard the track and you, you felt that it was obvious what had to go there, like what technically do you mean by that? Like you had an idea for a melody or was it a rhythmic thing? Like what was the first thing that came in your mind? That's a really good question because it, it, it just, it, I think it was more of a rhythmic thing because it was like, okay, I can't make this an absolute cacophony of notes no pun intended with the cacophony and the Marty Friedman thing but but it, it, it would kind of almost sound silly to me if it was a lot of notes it was like okay I'm gonna almost go the opposite and open my solo almost as sparse as I can while still remaining melodic and then build it because the, 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 musically it does build over that whole thing take my solo away it still builds so it would be kind of weird if I went in all guns blazing, rhythmically, 16th, 30 second notes flying at you. And then all of a sudden I made it more tasteful towards the end as it's building. Mm. It was yeah. like, okay, I don't know. In the same way that you hear something like Kirk Hammett's solo, Me Unforgiven, it like 
it does it builds it, mm-hmm. and, it, and there's a reason why but it's you did something solo. really cool that that again i i very much appreciate in that you listened to the whole fucking song so that you're like okay here's what comes before here's what comes afterwards so here's the journey i need to get from point a to point yeah. b and you did what was required but you know the converse of that on another record we had um satchel play on a song called opus we oh actually we no, what, what we, we don't, we don't have a song called song? opus so that's Wait, what's the it, name it, of it turned into something else and now i can't remember <laughs> I can't even, I'm, I'm too early in the morning we had satchel play on on, on the first record was it Co- and I kotar? Gave a few, was that kotar uh, Co- uh, kotar delusion and <laughs> Uh, we, we, okay. yeah, we, we literally, um, you know, I gave him a few different options of like heavy places and like, you know, there was another place that was similar to you as far as it's very soundscapey, no drums, whatever. And he decided to play over it, but he pulled an Ingve where he was just like played the most ridiculous, like something that would have been almost too much over a heavy part over the, like the soft part. But I loved it because it was like out of fucking nowhere. Because yeah. I was like, "Whoa, bro, that's what you did over that part." And then that's of course, his personality re- too, well, though. And so also yeah. like for through. for the song, that's a very it's a darker song with yep. like it's got a bit more of like negative connotation. Obviously, the you know not that the title really means a ton to the music itself, but if you are taking it speak for as yourself a, as an in- well <laughs> to a, to a listener, you know, like if, if they don't know the title, but it's it's a darker vibe and it's a little more chaotic. So it, it did still fit, but yeah. It, oh, it fit. I'm just saying that it's cool because what he listened before and afterwards, it was kind of the opposite. It was right, a little yeah. bit more mellow. So when he came in over a chill part, he went fucking to the jugular. Yeah. Whereas when you have Marty doing his thing, you have Nuno doing his thing, and then there's a soft spot, like why you know go completely bananas you have this super melodic thing but dynamically it makes me as a listener and obviously a lot of the people that have been commenting on youtube which damn there's a lot of views at this point um and a lot of people commenting about you richard is that you just are super tasty and that's one of those things that i think it's not devoid in new players but there's a lot of players that are so interested in technique and so interested in beating the the Jeff Loomis's and Jason Becker's that they forget that maybe playing tasty is better especially when you're playing with Nuno Betancourt and Marty Friedman who still choose to play tasty (laughs) despite the fact they're fucking aliens yeah I I think that's the thing I'm influenced by players who are technically ridiculous but it was always based around the song even if it was an instrumental thing where it was a guitar, I mean, I'm wearing a Steve Vai shirt, shirt for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, like it was always about the composition and the instrumentation and uh, dynamics. It was, it was everything. It wasn't just a case of, oh, how many notes can I fit in this solo? Right. Um, and I mean, even though the, the new breed of guitar players uh, probably technically more astounding than ever i think a little bit of that has been lost not with everybody but the kind of the new well, not new, with new you Instagram generation it's kind of lost a little bit it's where it's like you no know, the song and melody comes first and if it happens to have a kick-ass guitar guitar solo then even better yeah well that that's was my com- favorite uh, no. i was gonna say my favorite thing about kelly when we have like we have these vignettes that Corey edits the fuck out of that where we talk about people and we have you know we kind of talk about how we feel about each of the guests that we have on the album so kelly's talking about um richard and he's just like oh well you know he's he's rooted in the old school but every time you think he's gonna be you know this or that like he does something from the new school and that's part of what i like about you is that you you're based in like this old school like you gotta play it right you gotta really do it like you can't be lip syncing the guitar like all these people are doing but you still have some of this crazy technique where your fucking pinky looks like a huntsman spider. And you're like, how does he even do that? And I had to actually watch the video to believe that that was actually not fucked with. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I don't know if it's poor technique. I don't know what it is. But it's, it, everyone started talking about my pinky finger. And I was like, well, I've never even noticed that. So, <laughs> so Whatever now, gets the is, job done. <laughs> yeah, th- this is why I shouldn't read the comments. Because now I'll go, have I got a weird little finger? Like, I'm, I, every time I play now, even when I'm teaching, I'm like, okay, what, what's this guy doing? <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, do as I say, not as I do. Because that look, might either looks really weird or it's poor technique. I don't know what it is, but it's just... The, the way I well, if that's played. poor technique, I would hate to see it if you actually got the good technique. Right. I think we'd all have to quit. I need to get at that Kelly's point. technique. That's what I right. mean. 
his little finger does not go flailing. <laughs> no, but this is super interesting because at the end of the day, what resonates most with people is a well-composed song and a good melody and something that builds and has momentum. So you're right. I mean, people can get lost in wanting to do more, more, more. And even with me as like an orchestra player, let's say, what I loved about playing different instruments is that I learned, okay, what is a... A supporting role do in orchestra like viola or cello or second violin and like learning how to incorporate that into like helping build music also because it's also easy to say oh yeah I'm going to write a million layers of violin which I've done but it's not mm -hmm. always the most effective thing to just put everything that will sound good together all at once all the time definitely not like that that's why I saw my role as a supporting role I went into this going everyone's going to be listening to Nuno and Marty, especially. I, I think at the time we didn't know Alex was going to be doing it. So I was like, okay, people are going to be checking this out for Nuno and Marty. I know where I fit in this. I, <laughs> I push an ego aside here. Nobody's <laughs> going to be listening for me. So, uh, But when they listen to it, they do hear you. And that's the thing that's great because you definitely <clears throat> speak through your guitar. And it's one of those things where it's like, Oh my God, because you, you hold your own all day long with those guys. Like, I mean, I, I love everybody's parts for different reasons. You know what I mean? So like, it's to say like, I love this more than that. Like, look, you and I both know we grew up knowing that Nuno's the goat. So like, there's that. So when people are like, oh, Nuno's the best, like, I'm not going to argue with you. No. But like Marty Friedman, like also being the best, I'm not going to argue with you. Alex Skolnick being the best, not going to argue with you. Kelly being the best, still not going to argue with you. And even you. Even you wouldn't argue because I, I truly admire your playing. But one thing that like I'll I'll say, you know, I love Kelly uh, and I think he's one of the greatest, most technical players and he plays effortlessly. But something that you have that I truly, truly love is that you go see you with Cradle of Filth and you are a performer, too. You can you could sound as good as you do, but you play accurately while you've got the face shit going on and you're wearing the costume and you're that running around the stage. That is definitely hard. A lot of props to that. Right. Because you got these, you know, John Pertucci and Jason Richardson and they're all standing there in the same position for like, you know, 47 minutes playing perfectly. God bless their souls. But like, that's one thing. And then to do the Ingve Mound scene where you flip your guitar around and you're still playing great and you're lighting shit on fire. That's a different level. And I think it's one thing to do it in the studio and another thing to be able to go in front of a crowd oh, yeah. and do that and still sound good at the soundboard. And you're not like, oh, I probably shouldn't run around anymore. Yeah, I, th I think it's, again, just how I was brought up in the bands I listened to growing up was like, okay, well, if you can't do it live, you can't do it. And I, I, think, I think that's just the way I've always seen it. And that's kind of a level of technique I've always aimed for. And strangely enough, using this as an example because i'm a guitar teacher and i've taught in universities and things there's a lot of newer guitar players coming in now who are coming in and this is why i think it's really exciting right now a lot of newer guitar players coming in who watch instagram and youtube guitar players and people who for lack of a better word have been edited within an inch of their life like every note's been punched in there's a lot of younger players coming in now who are coming in thinking that's all been done in one take so then they learn to do it in one take and they're like oh now this is <laughs> this is a whole new game when that becomes the base level and it's like we're all standing on the shoulders of giants and i i'm one of those people who was influenced by people you'd see them live and go oh my god that sounds like a record i've got i've got to be that good like you know what I mean? but you don't know how much practice has gone on behind the scenes to make that happen or even if it has been performed in one take in the solo i always just naively assumed it was so that's the level i was always aiming for so here's what but what i see okay so the first time i ever saw jeff loomis okay um and who who's on lost symphony he's on a, a bunch of songs he's on chapter three on a song called decomposing composers which may be my favorite song we've ever done um wow. and you know, the first time I ever saw him it was him just staring at his screen doing perpetual burn in one take, which oh, to yeah. me is is, yeah. is like climbing the, 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 the summit of Mount Everest and being like, I survived, um, yeah. you know, and, and but the thing is, is now enough people have done that where you have guys like Jeff Loomis. I mean, and granted, listen, Jason Becker was 19 and then he stopped being able to use his hands, whereas Jeff Loomis is a fucking adult, but he's sitting there staring at the screen, just playing it flawlessly. So in a world of people that could literally do anything now that you're not limited by technique, 
The question is, how do you speak with your own voice that makes you different? Which is why, like, you know, Paul Lorenzo, our drummer, um, showed me uh, someone like St. Vincent. And I don't know if you've listened to mm. St. Vincent. Oh, I love St. Vincent. She's amazing. And she's yeah. like, you know, this amazing female guitar player, which people go, oh, female guitar player. But she's an amazing guitarist. First off, her uncle is uh, is is. Tuke Andres, who's an un- unbelievable jazz crazy player. If you haven't seen that dude, like he does an unbelievable version of like Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson and Over the Rainbow, but which makes sense. But she is just so unique sounding in the same way that like, I, I don't even want to insult her by saying it's like a Tom Morello, but like that she uses like effects very interestingly. She does cool rhythmic things that are just unexpected and she shreds, but in a way that's not like a Marty Friedman or a Jeff Loomis, but you're just like, how did she incorporate that insane guitar thing into a pop song while being dressed like a supermodel and maintaining this composure on stage, but still playing like fucking Hendrix. And that's something that I'm like, oh, wow. So somebody actually took this old school and then made something new with it, but it's for me, that was like one of the first times I heard somebody new and I was like, wow, that's taking it to a different level, taking it in pop, be, being unexpected where you're doing like this song, maybe you're dancing at a club to, and then all of a sudden there's this crazy guitar part and you're like, that's on the guitar because it doesn't even sound like guitar to me. No, but to me, that's true artistry is when you're pushing the boundaries of where it happens. Like, like this is why it's weird because I've never considered myself an artist. I've always consider myself like a, a, a session guy who just learned all these different styles of music and was lucky to make a living doing it. And then obviously then I got the call for Cradle of Filth and it was like, oh, I have to write songs now and I have to say something with what I'm doing. And then that became a whole new thing where it was like, oh my God, now I have even more respect for the artists who have been successful. Think of the Bowies of the, the world and Zeppelins of the world, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you go, they're true trailblazers. That's, that can't be easy. I completely relate. Yeah, I can, no, go ahead. I finished. No, 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 I've, pre- I've pretty much finished there, but I, I consider St. Vincent in that respect where it's like, how do you incorporate all these things and create something new when a lot of things have been done before? It's incredibly difficult. So yeah, go on, Siobhan. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I feel very similar to you, you know, being a classical musician where you, yeah, you basically feel like a session player where it's like, you can be prepared to play anything, you build your technique. And then the second you get put in a situation where it's like, oh yeah, create a style, write something that hasn't been done before. It feels completely impossible because you've got all these years of being in this category of musician and it's a completely different muscle. So I I totally respect it. And it's, it's well, incredible to me. But this is why it's fun to work with people like you and people like uh, Richard because, and even Matt LaPierre, I, I know Corey can speak to this, because you guys could do anything. You can literally do anything. So all we have to do is think about like, how can she be different? Let's put a Kemper on her five string that, and we'll be geniuses, Corey. We'll be geniuses. <laughs> we'll tell the virtuoso violinist just to do like something Dimebag Daryl did in 1994 and, and people like, they've never done that. I remember being in the studio working on, um, it might've been Denial of Anger or something. There's like a little elect- electric violin break on uh, on chapter three coming up. And we ended up, you just happened to hit like this obscenely high note. And I was like, that, let's do that. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was yeah. possible. And you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, a lot of Corey cool. identifying the cool notes for me because, wow. you know, yeah, it's a, like, yeah, a totally different part of the brain or something. It was a new experience for me. But that's a um, really unique sound that's on this, on the upcoming Lost Symphony record that it's something that we were sitting there like, we've never heard this before. Like no yeah. one's, no one's ever like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're definitely not the first person to put electric violin through an amp, but to use it in the way we did and especially coming at it as like, we don't know what this is going to sound like. Let's just try things until it's cool, you know? Well, and right. also having somebody who's as proficient as Siobhan, where you, you can just say, Hey, well, um, just do this a minor arpeggio thing. And if you could just kind of, you know, modulate a little bit and, you know, shake it, like she gets <laughs> it. And then she's just like, it doesn't work with that sound. Let's try this sound. And, and she like in real time could do it because she's so used to being good at something, but you take the music away from her. Like the joke is how do you get a guitar player to turn down? You put music in front of them. How do you get Siobhan to stop? Take the music away. So like we <laughs> we have to like literally be like, but if you just did this Siobhan and then she listens to it and it's almost like one side of her brain talking to the other side of her brain through her fingers being like, if you just listen to them, you can get to this crazy original idea of your own. And then watching her do that and be like, wow, 
It does sound good. Like you hear it on the record and it sounds bananas. And it's because Siobhan just like that moment decided I'm going to be an electric violinist through a Kemper. No, but even like the the difference between acoustic and electric playing and like the world of tones and building stuff like like recently, like around Christmas time, Brock and I did this cover of like a TSO song. And I remember sitting in this studio and like crying because I was like, I can't get the tone that I want on this violin. And I was like overwhelmed by the Kemper and all these pedals and things. And I have like a whole new respect for the amount of work that guitar players put into even just building a tone, you know, and like the combination of all the right effects and like that. Yeah. Being in the studio with you guys and going through the Kemper, it was like a whole different world for me, you know, so it's not just how you play, but it's also how are you going to build this, like kind of your persona through all these different tones and effects yeah. that you, you build around your sound. When it does come to tone, Richard, uh, how, how, finicky are you are you like a a meat and potatoes guy or are you like a tweaker kind of dude i'm like the opposite of a tweaker <laughs> um I, I i i i think i used to be when i was a lot younger and then i realized i was wasting an awful lot of time trying to find a tone and not practicing mm-hmm <laughs> and yeah. that kind of Sounds annoyed like me. It's, I know. it's like a procrastination <laughs> thing. Like, oh, I, I, I if, I, if the tone, is. if I have a little more mids, I'll sound better, you know? Ex- exactly. <laughs> and it's that whole tone chasing thing. After, yeah. I, I think I'd been playing something like a good 16, 17 years by the time I went, I'll never find that tone. I'll <laughs> yeah. never find it because I do find it. And then it's the tone for about two months. And then I go, okay, now let's go find another one. And it's, yeah. it, it's just an ongoing thing. It's like I have this idea of what makes great tone in my head. And then as I get older, maybe my tastes change. Maybe physically my ears change. I don't know. Maybe I've had that tone in my well, ears. Well, it's like hating mushrooms <laughs> when you're seven and then all of a sudden loving mushrooms on your pizza when you're 15. You're like, I hated Marshalls. They sound like shit. You're now like, <laughs> oh, the JCM 800 is it. You yeah, know what I mean? It, well, it's exactly. the same thing even like with the, the distortion thing. So when I was younger, I understood the idea of putting two MT2s into each other because you'd need more distortion. But now, as I've gotten older, especially with like listening to bands like Clutch or whatever, you realize like you want heavy, dial back the distortion. You want mm-hmm. tone and you want it to be heavy tone, dial back the distortion and saturation. That's actually what gives you that heaviness. And like as you get older... The other thing I've noticed is that I can put myself through almost any amp as long as it's of a certain quality and it's going to sound like me. So uh, the thing I've learned is because I'm not that good of a guitar player, I focused on trying to get what I am okay at to sound good. So sometimes even through shitty amps, I fool myself into going, hmm, that sounds actually kind of like the guys I grew up yeah. listening to, but then I can't do anything beyond the the solo for Smells Like Teen Spirit. But I fucking yeah. own it. I think one of the yeah, exactly. biggest... Yeah, one of the biggest aha moments for me when it came to tone, like chasing tone that you hear on records, uh, is the fact that a lot of the heaviness of the guitar is really the bass. Yeah. Like in a in a yeah. well mixed record, all that like chest hitting guitar riffage is just the bass supporting a really bitey guitar tone. If you take away the bass and you solo that guitar, you'd be like, oh, that's that's exactly. thin and like you know it's it's insane because you sit there as a kid listening on the radio and you're like okay crank the bass up on the you know crank the highs in the bass and you get that super scooped guitar tone and you're just playing by yourself and you're like yes yes this is it and then you get into a band and you go where'd my guitar go it's gone yeah it's amazing how much arrangement plays into the quality yeah. of the song like same with orchestra Definitely. stuff you would think that okay this is going to sound huge if i have every instrument playing the exact same line because it's just going to make it sound big and no it actually thins it out what makes mm-hmm. stuff sound big is counterpoint you know, having instruments yeah. that work together. One of the most enlightening moments of my entire life was when I, my first, I was signed in a progressive metal band when I was like 17. And, you know, the record label bought us all this great stuff. We were running like a crazy PA, two PA systems. I'm playing through two full stacks with an ABY switch that got tons of noise. And my other guitar players playing through two stacks with an ABY switch that causes tons of noise. Our drummer had like a nine piece DW and we had all this stuff. And we're like, we can't hear anything. (laughs) And the guy comes down first. uh, So one of our dudes from the label comes down. He's like, well, first off, turn down turn down your volume you don't need to be that loud <laughs> yes we do we can't hear anything he's like well and he, and, and the the amp i was using was a vht pitbull which has a parametric wow. eq on it so it was literally the smiley face it was the the dime bag <laughs> daryl smiley face and he's like this is the opposite you want a frowny face i'm like what do you mean 
He goes, you have no mids, dude. You're literally trying to fuck with the bass drum and and and, and uh, the bass while you're stepping on their dicks. Just you're the mid range. Mid doesn't sound good. <laughs> so he EQs all of us and, and and like changes everything and turns all of our volume down. And we played and we're like, I can hear myself. And it's just because of frequency cancellation and a huge thing that I will demystify for those guitar players that play in your room and don't play with a real band. The sound you think that sounds good through your amp is not necessarily what sounds good to tape, which is why when you download these isolated tracks of guitars or whatever, you know, Steve Stevens was talking about it on the show, how like, you know, his guitar tone doesn't sound as big as it does in the, in, in the song, right. but, but the room he has sonically in that song is what makes it big. And, you know, Corey was the first person to really tell me, like, instead of like, just, you know, the guys that turn up the treble and the bass on everything, it's about like what you take away. I'm like, yeah. And that blew my mind. Yeah. Two moments in my life spring to mind of when I went completely opposite. As much as I love equipment and using technology to get new tones and just having new guitars and new amps and all this kind of stuff. There was two moments that happened in very quick succession when I was at music school that made me realize, ah, that's how it's done. Okay. And it, and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, if I buy a Mesa boogie triple rectifier, I will sound like Tremonti or Metallica or Korn or whatever. And then my friend bought one and I played through it and I sounded like shit. Like utter shit, no matter what I did with it. And there was a ridiculous amount of string noise coming out. I couldn't tame the thing. Mm -hmm. It was feedback left, right, and center. I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. How, how do they make this amp sound so good? That combined with, as a masterclass, Richie Cotson came in. Oh, he's so sick. And that this was when I first met him and even heard of him. And then he did a masterclass and he literally turned up and he didn't even use his own guitar. He was just, he borrowed like a student's guitar, <laughs> like not being finicky about the action, what pickups were in it. Nothing. He was just like, I just need to borrow a guitar. If that's okay. I didn't bring my own. And was like, Oh yeah. What amp have you got? It, yeah. It doesn't matter. And then he got up and played and it sounded like Richie Cotson. And, and, that, and it was that moment combined with the whole mess of boogie thing where I was like, Oh, it's in the hands. Yep. Ah, right. And then it was that moment where I completely changed the way I practiced. Because it was like, okay, if this doesn't sound good, no matter how simple a part or how complex a part it is, I need to review it. And I think I've always kind of pushed through with that. No matter how technical something is, it's got to sound good. Minimal string noise, the tone's got to be good. I'll even, I don't know if it's the same for you guys but sometimes i even change which finger i land on because mm -hmm. each finger sounds slightly different yeah. and i can get a little bit of vibrato depending which finger i land on so and that's where all my energy went into so then no matter what guitar i use or what amp i went into it's modesty aside it still sounded really good and yeah I, i've been lucky enough to play through a replica of van halen's rig um, Brian May's rig <laughs> and I remember plugging into it and going oh I don't sound like any yeah. of those guys right. and it just proved that gear was not the be all and end all gear is fun <laughs> but it doesn't give you the voice that you have if you work on your instrument just spend time with the instrument this is one thing I loved about like growing up with classical music and same thing like with master classes, really famous violinists will come to schools and same thing. Can I, oh, can I just have your violin for a second? And they sound like them uh, no yeah. matter what violin. And it's a hundred percent because you really do. I mean, when you have no effects, no amplification, you have to understand the space that you're playing in, the instrument you're working with. Everything is in the fingers, the bow distribution, what, what finger you shift to, all the same stuff applies. And yeah, yeah I think when you start with that like standard of clarity, and you know control in your playing especially on an acoustic instrument for example it translates no matter yeah, what you, where you go throughout my definitely. life there's been a few moments like my you know 
playing life uh, where I've kind of felt like a little bit of like a, you know, you, ha- you hit a plateau and every now and then you just bump up randomly and you're like, wait, oh, I'm a little better now. Like what happened? And it's always been like, I, I you know, I, I lived with uh, like a roommate for a while and I, I didn't really have an amp set up. So I had a, just an acoustic laying around, but I'd still have to practice like leads and stuff for gigs. So I was just trying, just playing, you know, these electric leads on an acoustic for several months. And then, you know, I noticed at the gigs when I was on the electric, my playing was different. I was a bit more percussive, a bit more, you know, heavy handed, maybe on the vibrato, not like, not like shaking, but like more precise because you had to bend those heavy acoustic strings. And it was a clear transition. Like I, I noticed my playing was different in, in a, in a, a good way, but just a very different way. Um, you know, and it wasn't a matter of, I don't think if I was just playing on electric, I would have got there. Um, so That's it was why that, I string all my acoustics with sevens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that just sounds like a jangly mess to me. Yeah. Tell that to Billy Gibbons. He's the reverend. Yeah, I'm a big believer that like all guitar players should learn to play acoustic. Mm-hmm. I, I really am because it really, even if you're playing electric but not amplified, <laughs> because then you really hear things mm-hmm. that sometimes the amp can hide. Oh, and if absolutely. you play spe- specifically on an acoustic guitar, like I was in a, an acoustic cover band for the for the longest time, and it Days really sorry. Days of the new, nah, <laughs> now nah, just a local band, but like back home, uh, um, and we we're just doing all kinds of acoustic covers, like big one-hit wonders of the 90s. We were like, why does nobody cover that, especially on acoustic? We had like acoustic guitar, piano, double bass, and a, and a female vocalist. And That's it, awesome. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And then something, again, like Corey was saying, something really strange happened to my playing where all of a sudden I was – I had to provide the backbeat because we had no drummer. And it was like, okay, this is interesting. I've got to, And that kind of then related to the electric – and I was like, like, like Corey was saying, all of a sudden, my vibrato was more controlled because yep. I can't get into the super crazy vibrato on acoustic because it sounds pretty shit, to be honest with you. <laughs> and so it would tame my electric yeah. playing, the stuff that was a bit more chaotic, got tamed a little bit, and I think sounded better for it. Like, right. you, when you miss fret on an acoustic, you're going to know about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, 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 it's, when it's electric, you can kind of get away with it. So it translated, yeah. and all of a sudden, my electric playing just sounded better. The tone was better because my fretting was super on point. I know that one of my favorite guitar players live, and I, I know Corey's with me on this, is Slash. And I think that one of the reasons that he's so great is because when I first listened to like you know a song like Patience, his guitars, like, there's no difference in the quality of his guitar playing between an acoustic no. and an electric. Not even, like, the speed and accuracy for which he plays. And I, I remember even as a younger kid thinking to myself, that sounds hard. Not just yeah. because it's, uh, you know, it, it's the solo is hard, but because he's just so accurately bending right. and hitting things and his, you know, his right hand is ridiculous. And you see a guy like Slash and you're like, oh, yeah. He's been practicing shredding on an acoustic when you see him play on an electric because one of the things I like about it, uh, about him, and you know, and Mark Tremonti even said this on the show the other day, is like he plays from his hip, but like he does. He puts the fucking guitar up on his hip yeah. and he just goes, this is when I mean business. And the thing that I like about his playing is he does have that same almost blues mentality where even though you know the solos, he's still improving like 30% yeah. of stuff almost all the time and it's fucking on point. And yeah. it's like that Delta blues improv thing that like slash just somehow turned into a shred thing. He He's just one of my guitar gods. Like he's again, another one of those guys with, without whom I wouldn't be playing. And the way I can put it is I've seen him play some horrifically wrong notes when I've been <laughs> seeing, but they sound amazing. <laughs> it's like, it's one of a few, and again, true artistry where it's like, even the wrong notes sound incredible where, and then I go home and try it and I'm like, I sound like shit. Like, like, like not many people can get away with it. And slash well, the re- here's why he gets away with it. Because if you watch slash, he's not one of those guys that's like, you know, BB King, like, ah, he, he sits there. He's like, and he kind of like barely moves his mouth like he's like doing a math problem in his head. Like, uh, you know, and he doesn't do the Zach Wilders going back and forth. It's kind of like, and even when he fucking hits the wrong note, he's like, okay, I'm going to move passes. I'm just going to keep like channeling whatever I'm coming from. Yeah. And, but he looks like he's a scientist, <laughs> just like 
I'm going to now go do the blues thing. And it's this frenetic thing. And I don't know, I don't know the energy. I'm just going to let my hand go. And it's very interesting to even see him against someone like Richard Fortas um, now with, with guns and roses, who almost Mm. looks like Izzy Stradlin, um, who's such an amazing player on his own, but like Richard's, I feel like even more of a refined player than slash. So you have like slash playing this incredible bluesy stuff. That's, you know, I don't want to say hacky, but like, you know, not perfect in the same way that Jimmy Page isn't perfect, but it's so like crazy and frenetic. And then you have a guy like Richard, uh, like, like Richard Fortas, who's so good, but like, he's so much more refined and like, yeah. overtly tasty where you kind of think like, did he think about that before? You know, like everything Joe Satriani does, you're like, it's so meticulously thought out where slash like, you, you know, we didn't know what he was thinking about. Yeah. He just fucking made it happen. And it's awesome. No, it's exactly. a great point. And I think that you just, what you just said, it, it reminds me there's like guitarists like slash, like Zach wild who can pour out notes. Like just, it's just firing off. Both hands are firing off and notes are coming out. And that, you know, I, and then there's the guitarist that you can tell each note is 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 like I think oh I'm gonna go this run here and, and it looks very precise and they're really two opposite ends of the spectrum in turn in terms of just like watching and listening because I could never like you know I I I fancy myself a decent guitarist and I, I can hold my own playing leads and stuff but I've never been able to get to the point I've always wanted to where I can just let my right hand rip and my left hand will match up with stuff, <laughs> you know, like that's that skill and that like ability to just fire off notes with no particular plan. It, it blows my mind. It's one of the most impressive things that's that that's like rock and roll, like incarnate, like that, that visual of a guitarist just <sighs> flipping, like is he even hitting the strings and how is all those perfect notes coming out? Exactly. Exactly. I've always seen it as this is why we practice. This is why we practice technique. It's not so we can in, impress other guitar players it's yeah. so when you have an Are idea you sure? in your head well there's a little bit of that <laughs> you know especially when i was a lot younger it's like i'm gonna be steve Vai. i'm gonna be the next steve Vai. and it's like yeah it's not gonna happen <laughs> but it's uh, and then that realization happens but i still practice and i still practice technique purely because it's like i, I want to get the idea out that's in my head if i physically can't play it I, that, I need to practice it. It's like when people um, like slag off Kurt Cobain, like in the guitar community, he's not very good a guitar player. I was like, he's an incredible guitar player because he got out, he got out what was in his head. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people can do that, no matter well, how. He, he made people feel. And the thing is, that, like, exactly. okay, you could say, uh, you could say that those songs, like a song like Breed, guess what? People can literally go, and you know what song it is because yeah. it's so memorable. And you got to think about when he came out. Like, yes, it killed a lot of the things that we loved in our heart, like Poison and Motley Crue. But it it was so different in a time of everyone trying to do a thing and be a, a derivative that it was refreshing that it got to a point where people resented it because obviously it killed careers and changed the whole scene. But, you know, going back and listening to everything from Bleach to Incesticide, <clears throat> Incesticide is one of my favorite records because it's so fucking weird. And you listen to that guy and lyrically, that's one of the things about Kurt Cobain. Like, you know, I go back and listen to Jim Morrison and I go, okay, that guy sounds like a drunk buffoon that was just tripping on acid. And I don't think this is deep. Like, I just think this is some fucking asshole writing shit together. I'm sorry. That's how I feel about Jim Morrison now after loving the doors for years. But I go and listen to a song like Milk It off in utero. And, you know, first off, like, hey, foreshadowing, look on the bright side, suicide, lost eyesight, I'm on your side, left side, right side. <laughs> you know, like, it's fucking so deep and dark and the the rhyming scheme is so much better than the non-existent one but that's that's songwriting like i feel like you can't deny that the songs they wrote are are legendary i i would still argue that as a guitar player you know from from that standpoint you know he's not winning any awards uh I, i agree that he definitely got out what he wanted but i would i would credit him more with his uh songwriting ability and ability to capture you know well, not, not as a technical player, but there's difference, dude, because like, you know, you can't compare Pete Townsend, who's a rhythm guitarist to a guy like Jason Becker, 
You know, like he, he, he just plays three fucking chords, dude. He just, but the way he plays those three chords. So I have to actually disagree with you because I think the fact is you go watch Nirvana. All right. You watch any of those live shows and look, there's plenty of shit out there too. They weren't like a perfectly flawless band. Yeah, but I've heard him playing lots of stuff band. out of key and, and oh, yeah, <laughs> but, but that's part of what's cool about it. And that's what I like about it is because it's unique and it's original sounding. And he was able to do it in a way where it still got a whole crowd singing and it got. See, I, I think it's a perspective thing. So I don't disagree. Obviously, For you sure. know, culture icons, but I do not consider that like, oh, what an amazing guitarist. I consider what an amazing artist. Well, when I see uh, him on like, top hundred guitar players, like, OK, then I get annoyed because I don't think that like I don't think he's top hundred guitarists, but I act, I don't take away his ability to play. In fact, a guy who I think is critically underrated who's taking that to a different step is a guy like Dave Matthews who plays these insane mm -hmm. chords, insane rhythms, insane like lead stuff that you don't even realize is kind of happening yeah. as he sings, but like doesn't really get credit because you have like Tim Reynolds over there soloing and he doesn't really solo, but I think what he does on the guitar is a million times harder than Tim Reynolds. I'll agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the point being at the end of the day that technique and all the things that we work on are to give you freedom, right? Freedom to be yeah. able to write a great song, freedom to be able to express your idea when you get on stage. And that's same thing with violin, right? It's like, yeah, I practiced my scales growing up, but I still practice them every day because in order to have my brain primed to be ready to play something that pops into my head or when I hear something that's new, you know, you have to you have to feel secure and free to do it. Exactly. I have a gift, by the way. I have a surprise. So I have now Mr. Paul Lorenzo is is working. And today we have him drawing for, for this episode. Oh, wow. That's a awesome. very, very, very cool picture of Mr. Richard Shaw. You've been qualified. That's so cool. I love that. Paul, come over here and, and, and wave. Show me. Is your Paul person. there? Oh, he is. Hi, hey. Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs> How's it going, guys? He's, he's, he's like, doing? Garth, he's like, is this thing on? <laughs> we love it. Over that, here. Awesome. But that's awesome. amazing. Because isn't love that it. good? Isn't that that's good? That's so cool. That's going to so be on this episode. Yeah. Unpopular so obviously, opinion. if you're listening. Unpopular opinion. The best Guns N' Roses lineup was the Buckethead lineup. <laughs> All right, and now he's gone. And now he's gone, ladies. Go roll me a joint, will you? Boom. That's it. Oh, yeah. You listen to this. Look at this. Roll me a joint. I, I always said to myself, I will have made it if I have a guy that rolls me joints. And, I, and, I, and, and I'm engaged to someone who rolled me joints, but like she's fallen off. I don't feel like she feels the obligation quite like she used to. So now it would be way too early for me to get on that yeah. train. I don't know how you do that. I don't know. I think Ben, Before noon. ben, is, ben is peaked. <laughs> it's all downhill after this. Oh yeah. At least, at least it's not coffee today because last time you were oh like God. on a roll with your caffeine. Yeah, it was impressive. That's when oh, I was up since well, six, guys. Like, this is all, all right. Well, this is already happening. <laughs> Although the one day I wake up early to go hoverboarding before Paul gets here because he gets here at nine now. It's fifty-three degrees out. It's been like nine hundred and fourteen degrees with a thousand sixteen percent humidity, and then I wake up early, like, oh, I'm not gonna go outside. Like, it's fucking cold. What the fuck? So that's oh. yeah. Did you yeah. say hoverboarding? Hoverboarding. He did hoverboarding, like in yeah. Back to the Future. No, like the, like the two wheeler like thing that you it's go a segue. around. He's yeah, on a Segway. It's not a Segway because it has a handle, but it's like basically like I'm skiing uh, through life. Oh, that They're thing. really annoying yeah. looking, but it's actually not only good exercise, it helps my back, but it, it, it because I'm so ADD, if you didn't notice, it allows me to I, like- I couldn't tell. Yeah, it allows me to critically listen. So like when Shannon Larkin goes, hey man, can you listen to this song 700 times? I just put it on repeat and my body is like trying to stay perfect, like using a hundred muscles- while I'm like just going, oh, cool, I can actually listen to this now. So it's like I'm people that see me around my neighborhood must think I'm nuts because I'm just going around <laughs> with headphones on, just like in my own world, jamming out to Shannon Larkin's songs by myself, critically listening. And my fiance is like, you know, you why aren't you working or whatever? I'm like, babe, this is work. This is work. I have to listen to this. And I can't <laughs> critically listen unless I go to the graveyard that's basically like a skate park and go around so I don't hit anybody while I'm staring at my phone and just read these lyrics as I'm going around. And Siobhan's been on the phone with me when I've done that, and I've been like, oh, fuck, the battery died on my fucking hoverboard because I go so far that I forget that it dies. And I carry my hoverboard home as I'm talking to Siobhan crying. 
Oh, man. True story. <laughs> That's it. There's and, nothing more. And here we There's are. There's real problems when my hoverboard <laughs> right. battery dies. Yeah. Well, when it weighs more than 25 pounds, which is why I like the Hover well, One Titan. He- well, you, you say you did it for exercise, so I suppose. It, well, yeah, so I'm so skeptical about it, that. You know? Listen, so I have done a lot of research about this. People say that like walking is better, uh, and I, uh, if you read anything, first off, the the amount of core strength that you need, and I say this some, as a skier, as someone that snowboards, like you need a lot of fucking core strength to be able to stand up on one of those things and not fall on your face and go. 15 miles an hour you do i would i would be, be able, able to, to get stand on like that this thing, and look like an asshole like the guy in you know grandma's boy like that is not an easy thing to do and because i have a bad back it actually forces my posture to be better and you can burn up to 300 calories a half hour which is way more than walking but it's mm. you know you have to actually do it and one of the things that's really cool about it is that it, you burn a lot of calories for not feeling like you're doing the same amount of work as far as like if you're actually pushing heavy weights but like i assure you if you get off a hoverboard and go five i'm gonna need miles, i'm gonna need some sources cited on that because I've, I've gone for i've gone for a run for that long i don't think i burned 300 calories in this yeah <laughs> no 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 you're, you're absolutely right it's it, it's it's different but i'm telling you right now the amount of uh, of muscle that you're you're controlling by doing that the statements it's, it's, made on this podcast not have been been approved we, by you the, didn't uh, need to just extract FDC. the video of ben sitting puffing smoke with his joint talking about the benefits of hoverboard exercise health tips <laughs> listen to the health advice with benny Goodman, right you know, you know. meanwhile you can't see him because it's a smoke screen yeah oh my god but <laughs> I like you googling right, it right, right, right now. Right. Yeah, right in Google. Yes, it does burn calories. A half hour <laughs> ride could burn up to three hundred calories. It's important to keep in mind that different from hoverboard dot com. Yeah, no, it's the Says joint. The internet. It's the it's joint dot com. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> can you lose weight while riding a hoverboard? You can easily achieve. This is a different. This is the longboard. Yes, expert. if you don't com. eat all day and then you go on a hoverboard, Using you will lose a few pounds. One of the pounds. best ways to lose weight: you self balancing board tends to minimize strain in the upper part of the body. Moreover, this is an enjoyable activity every person could do would want to consider daily. And there's a whole bunch of reasons because it increases your reflexes and it's low strain on your body so like walking like have you ever walked really really far <laughs> you're fucking your body you feel it on your joints way less on this but your 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 hamstrings are like fuck you yeah exercise try it <laughs> go hoverboarding for three miles and tell me that All you're right. not walking like you just went bareback riding in wisconsin to get cheese buy, for the buy me a hoverboard and i'll do a, a scientific test I'll, i have uh, right. two hoverboards in fact i challenge you now because uh, Hover uh, Hover One set me a uh, one under warranty because my speaker stopped working on one of them. So I now have two hoverboards. <laughs> I can't I believe s- there's a speaker on it. Let's there's talk about that. Yeah, but well, listen. Wow. But, but uh, I'm so, learning so but, much. Corey, if you come with me, I will absolutely challenge you to put it on expert mode and come with me through the woods on that fucking thing and tell me it doesn't kick your ass. Go for it. Let's do this. Let's do this right okay. now, dude. You this need to week. find a way, Ben, to connect your speaker with Bluetooth so you can take your phone call so that people are just going to see you hoverboarding down the street with somebody screaming talking at to you. Through. Yeah. <laughs> it reverts to my phone. when It's like playing Metallica, and then it reverts to my phone. So, Oh, man. That's amazing. Well, That's cool. what a next, time, next time in the States, Benny, we're doing it. I'm going yeah. go to the, go into the woods with you, which sounds weird <laughs> when I say that. I'm going to go into the woods Try with you. Try telling a girl from Tinder that. Yeah. There's no one around for four miles. Now get on this machine. Yeah, maybe I won't do it. Actually, that's very weird. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Not to change th- the please the change the subject. Do. but it, it just occurred to me because I've never had this conversation with you. Guys. How do you come up with the names for the songs? Ben, you want to talk about it? Wow. I would say I have very little to do with the name, so no. I'll leave that to you guys. Like, yeah. take another piece. Why is it Why is it take another piece, for example? Well, take another piece is simply because that's the name of the song when I had lyrics for it. And oh, okay. So, it was, so that song and The World Is Over, and it's actually the song was called The World Is Over and We're Already Dead, was the original title for it. But considering the coronavirus, it seemed not that tactful. <laughs> um so we call it The World Is Over. But those two songs are actually remnants of songs that are examples of things that I spent an incredible amount of time on to do absolutely nothing with. So we repurposed those songs. Um, so those songs already had names. But something like Kotar Delusion is simply like, I'm a nerd and like Google syndromes and, 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 and things. Probably like Danny Filth. You're like, what's a sepulcher? 
okay, that sounds evil. I'm like, Kotar <laughs> delusion? Oh my God, you're a fucking waking zombie? Or like, you think that you're missing an, a limb? Like, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that I'm like, I want to be the guy that makes you go to a, a, a dictionary or Google and look up like what that is and go, wow, that's metal. That's literally all I did, except for catnip pie. Because my cat was just really high on catnip when we listened to it. And, well, Conrad's just a whimsical player. That sounds awesome. That answers my question. I was, I was, I was just generally curious, like, if it's like, very specific. It well, and like then, and then specific. With, all, with this last record, half of it already named itself because we we're like, okay, so what, what would we name a tribute to Ollie? And I was like, the five stages of death and dying like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross because that's badass. And my brother's like, let's go with that. But then, you know, it's like, do we write a 25 minute song, like a change of season, or do we make it multiple songs? So then it's just like, you know, the denial of anger, because denial and anger are the first bargaining depression. Oh my God, we've combined the names. And then acceptance. They wrote themselves. And then decomposing composers was just kind of a pun that Ollie and I had. I was like, I'm going to make a mashup like a DJ. And I'm just going to put like Schubert and like uh, Vivaldi together and we'll just, we'll make it a mashup and we'll call it Decomposing Composers. And first off, Corey's like, did you know that that was a, a Monty Python thing? I was like, no, but that tells me I'm brilliant. Oh, I didn't that know I came, that. That I came yeah, up I with know. that fucking idea because Eric Idle and all those guys are, were geniuses and, uh, or are geniuses. And uh, it basically, it was just one of those things where it was funny to me. And then when Ollie passed, I was like, well, he liked it. So that's what we're calling it. And then as far as like my last goodbye, that was actually another repurposed song that I had written for a friend of mine that passed years ago. And when uh, I wanted, I, I thought it was so cool that when, when Ollie was here that I was like, dude, play over this. This is one of my favorite things I ever wrote because I was repurposing a song again because that's what I do. I write songs and then for years fester over them and then I go, I try this. And when he passed away, you know, it's going to be the next single, um, which may be close to out by the time this airs. I don't know. Um, yeah. And it's now taken on a different tone because it's the song that he plays on, on his own homage, if you will. Um, and it's, you know, it was originally a goodbye to somebody else, but he played on his own goodbye from us. Wow. That's very cool. And he's the last really notes cool. on the record. And in fact, you know, Corey was like, well, we can't have it stop so abruptly, which I always agree with. <laughs> and so we actually um, had, you know, Corey spend a bunch of time manipulating some of his voice um, at the end of the album. So he kind of says, you know, bye to everybody from us. Wow. I can't wait to hear that. That's, that's I can't wait cool. for people to hear it. Yeah. yeah. So July, July 9th, cool. if it's. If it's past July 9th, you can hear it right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, happy birthday, Ollie, because it's it, we, yeah. we wanted to release it, yeah. you know, right near Ollie's birthday. Um, you know, it just ended up working out because we were like, oh, do we release this for Ollie's? And just the way with COVID and, and, and how everything's rolled out, we're like, let's let's release the album for our friend on, you know, his birthday. And, you know, we miss him. And I just know the cool thing is this is something we can control. In the sense that, like, I, we can't control that he's not here anymore. We can't control anything about that. But what we can control is, um, and when I say control, I use the term loosely. Marty and Nuno and Alex Golden playing <laughs> Very together. loosely. Very loosely. <laughs> but, like, I know, knowing Ollie, if he, and, and he would have loved you. And he, he loved Kelly. He loved Kelly. Kelly was, like, his, like, he was Kelly's biggest fan. He's always like, you're, you're, you're so good. I, I'll never be that good. And he's right. He would have never been that good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now we got, the whole thing started, really, when, when Ollie came down. Because we were talking about Conrad and Kelly being these great guitar players no one had heard of. We're like, well, okay, well, we were going to really do this. If we got Eddie Van Halen. No, man, get Marty Friedman with you on that one. Get Nuno. Done. And that was kind of like the fictitious Bill and Ted. We can't have a band or a video without Eddie Van Halen, but we can't have those things, you know, like chicken or the egg. So when Ollie passed, I was like, I know what I can do. And every single person online, if you read these comments, um, it's just like, I can die happy now. I know. <laughs> Me too. <clears throat> Me fucking too. And I know that Ollie, who's not here anymore, is happy wherever he is listening to that fucking song. <laughs> 
period. I'm sure he'll absolutely so, dig it. Yeah. Th- thank you, Benny, and thank you all for, for making it happen. <laughs> really, because it's yeah. it really is a treat. It really yeah. is something very, very cool. Not just for guitar players, just musicians in general, I think, are getting a kick out of hearing it, and music fans are getting a kick out of hearing their favourite players come together. And it's something that wouldn't have happened without Ollie. Do you think that yeah. you can get the original clip of when we asked him on the show? We can show that clip of us being like, hey, you want to do this? And then now we can show them the hundreds of thousands of views it has online with all the comments going, who's this Richard? You should let Richard Shaw play more. I like, will, uh, I'll put as that, cli- we I'll put that clip over the credits. So stay tuned cool. for the credits. And <laughs> on that note, and on that point, uh, we're coming to the end of our part two with Richard. And I think that was a solid way to end it. Um, Richard, British thank ambassador, you. by the way, which yes, we, have said, we have to make sure we make this known that, and actually we could put it in the, in the credits. In fact, Corey, can I ask you a favor No. in the credits <laughs> from now on? Can you put British ambassadors, Steve Wood and Richard Shaw on every episode, every single episode? Definitely put Steve Wood ab- above me. Well, we so have to, he's, yeah, earned listen, it. he's earned it. You know? We have to like, and it should probably say the Steve Wood. The Steve Wood. Uh, sir, in all caps. Steve Wood. It has to be sir, all caps. Lord no, Steve Wood. Lord, no, yeah. no, no, not yet, because he'll be like, well, Benny, I am from England, and they're all lords. I'm actually the honorable Steve Wood. And I wouldn't <laughs> want to fucking mistake him for an honorable if he's if he's a lord or vice versa. Oh, Rude. just elevate him to king already. <laughs> <laughs> just, is that what it is there? I, I Lord isn't a king? I don't even know. Nope. I don't lord really of the know. Kings? It's just, yeah. To be fair, you can technically become a lord if you buy a piece of land. I've seen ads for that, like on Facebook. <laughs> it's like, like, be a lord today. You, you get like one, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. my friend that is actually the honorable, and I won't mention his name because he'll probably hate me for doing it. His father um, did buy his his lord title in the early 20th century. And his, his father had him when he was like 70. Um, he's one of those guys. And he lives in Newport. Um, but like bought the the actual title lord and i'm like that's badass but it was back before it was like you know buy a highway or put your name on a star it was like you actually were a lord (laughs) but it became a scandal so there's that too yeah you don't want a scandal especially as a lord you know like 1948 like these lord buying british fucks those british fucks well, before Ben hijacks the rest of the episode by going on another <laughs> epic rant, we just want to say thank you again, Richard. It's always yeah. so fun to hang out with you. And yeah, we had a great discussion today. It was like exciting to get into some more musical composition stuff and, you know, catch yeah. up on. Richard was worried he wouldn't have enough to say. Hold on. Hold on. Before you leave, Richard. <laughs> See, I knew it was going to happen. Here we go. What? I, but you guys will appreciate this because we were talking Uh-oh. about this before. You lost 100 followers on your instagram <laughs> can we talk I can did. we speak to that can we, can we speak to that why why would people want to unfollow such an amazing guitarist and a wonderful human being and our british ambassador um because i posted shit pics <laughs> on instagram basically uh well it was father's day and i posted on my instagram like a lovely father's day picture for my dad, who's an excellent granddad t- to my son and all this kind of stuff. That was lovely. And then right at the end of the day, my son decided to give me an extra special Father's Day treat, <laughs> in which he had not done in a very long time, where he had what we affe- affectionately called a punami <laughs> or a shatastrophe. It's not even specific to children. Like, we can all have a shatastrophe from time to time. You know what I mean? Especially on tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Refer so back to our first episodes with back you. Back to the first episode. But, 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 but basically what happened, I, I put it up online going, this would be quite funny. And I literally woke up to a hundred less followers, a hundred <laughs> fewer followers. Even so. But does I Danny Filth not say that that's on brand? I suppose it literally was a cradle of filth. And, <laughs> you know, I don't think, and I missed a caption there. I, that was like the perfect caption. I didn't even see it. Um, but yeah, so I lost a hundred followers like overnight. Some people and You just also lose that, all the chances you don't take for captions. Like literally, exactly. like, you could have just done, dude, that, cra- all the, I bet you would have only lost seven people. But yeah, <laughs> just like just this is the right cradle caption. filth that's ruling that my life next, now. That's the next album cover. Just make sure you save that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Self-titled. I, and, and, and let me tell you something. If you want to get a hundred more followers, just get a puppy. 
just get that, that also happens no one so cares about like, your kid like, yeah. no matter how awesome your kid is they don't i want to see it, your puppy and i also want to see paul lorenzo's finished richard shaw that would be very cool how cool yeah. is that dude so when you come to the united states i'll make sure that i give this to you framed in person paul go sign that That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need to look at him anymore. Paul, go get another joint ready. We have things to do. Exactly. You're just going, there you go. Paul, have that. And a joint comes I back. I can't in. tell you how much you I love You don't even this. need to look at him anymore. I was told I wasn't allowed to call him names by Jim. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why can't I call him a name? And I called Paul later that day. I'm like, do you mind if I call you monkey? And he's like, it okay, you're hijacking life. the episode. All right. As long as it's kind of, you can call him monkey as long as it's like affectionate, I suppose. But he doesn't think it's affectionate, even though I think it's affectionate. And according to HR, which is apparently everybody, that's not nice. So I said, I apologized immediately. And I said, I, I thought it was an effect. I thought you were like a cute monkey. Well, whereas we had a nice end to our episode, you decided to take it further. <laughs> and now we have it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Just put it on Corey. All right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, you've been 2020. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Richard. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 28, also featuring Richard Shaw of Cradle of Filth. Check it out. We got Marty Friedman to play on a song. It's not on record yet, but we have Nuno, who's agreed to be on a song for Ollie because it was a joke. Yeah. But we were thinking to ourselves, who do we know that loves Nuno as much as us? <laughs> and maybe Marty Friedman as much as us? And we're like, you! Would you want to play on a song for Ollie? S- s- uh, h- hang on a second. <laughs> so as in like play on a record with Martin Nuno yeah yes and, and maybe even there's another guy we're talking to but we won't talk about it yet because it's still like <laughs> yeah <laughs> The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.